So here we are in Colossians chapter 3. We're in the, the back half of it now. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3, it will not be on the screen for you again. Uh, but there is a Bible in the, in the seat in front of you somewhere probably. But also, of course, it's loaded up for you on the YouVersion app. And let me start by asking you this. Who do you think, if you were describing me to somebody, who do you think that I am? I could ask the same question about you, but just for the sake of this illustration, I want you to think about who I am. How would you describe me to someone? What am I like? What is the content of my character? What would you, I don't, this is rhetorical, friends, okay? <laughs> this is rhetorical, just in case there's some literal people in the room, okay? There are uh, basically two ways to find out if what you think about me is actually true or not. The first one is that you could watch my life over a very long period of time. Many of you know me very well because I've been a pastor at this church for 14 years almost. So that's a good amount of time you've watched my life. So over a long period of time, you can see my reactions to the good and the bad. You can listen to my conversations I've had with you and with others. And you'd probably get a pretty accurate read on me over a, a, like a, a significant period of time. The other way that you could answer the question, if you were going to describe me to somebody, is that it would be actually a lot faster and, uh, to do it this way. You could ask Rob, Ruthie, Shea, and Malachi, my husband and kids, what I'm like. Please don't do that. <laughs> if they gave you an honest answer, and because they love me, they wouldn't, probably. If they gave you an honest answer, you'd also probably get a pretty true picture uh, maybe even more accurate picture of what I'm like. And I guess I was thinking about this too. You could probably also put hidden cameras in my house and just watch me, but that's so creepy. I don't want to talk about that this morning. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Who you are when no one is looking is who you are. And the place where no one is looking is not actually a place of solitude where you're by yourself. To me, it's in your home. It's more like the, the place uh, where who, it's, it's like who you are when polite society isn't looking is who you are. We can uh, even apply this to where you spend your day. So maybe you live alone, so this is maybe for you. You can apply this to your work and your school in some ways as well. What you're like when you're comfortable tells us a lot about who you are. And in this series, we're looking at the book of Colossians, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, to learn more uh, about what it means to truly like and follow Jesus. And Paul has told us so much about Jesus, hasn't he, in these first couple of chapters, his nature and his power, uh, his work on the cross for us. We, we know that we're hidden in Christ, our lives are found in his, our identity is found in him, and we don't need to add any man-made rules to our faith that we aren't judged by human standards, but by hearts that are transformed by him. And so our reaction to this, this was uh, last week. <laughs> it was last week, right? Yeah, okay. Last week. See, we kind of went out of order with the kids' emphasis service, but now we're back. Okay. Uh, we... We, uh, we rid ourselves of anything that doesn't please him. We put on a new set of clothes, which is a beautiful character, which is defined and held together by love. We learned all of that in two and a half chapters, and all of it is so foundational to what's next. 
Because if you run to the back half of chapter 3 to the practical application of these principles before you understand the truths to themselves, you're in danger of becoming legalistic or discouraged on one side or you're in danger of becoming bound up by rules or, or, or living or on the other side living how you want to live, however you want to live because of your freedom in Christ. But it's not either extreme. As always, Jesus pulls us back to the center with a yes and. So we want to always remember that. The idea here is that yes, you are free from sin. Yes, you are free in Christ. And you are also now free to live a holy life that pleases him in every way. With the power of the Holy Spirit to do that in you. So if you remember last week we left off from this teaching in the middle of chapter 3, verse 17, and uh, Paul says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And now, the practical application. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, you already know this one, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord and not for human masters. For you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. For you know that you also have a master in heaven. The practical application of all of the things we've been learning. There's some more next week coming up with Pastor Ethan, but here we start. In other words, the instruction to the church in Colossae here is that this is what it looks like when you like and follow Jesus. When no one is looking. Here's what being in Christ means at home and at work. Oh, my secret clock is like over there. I can look back there. I'm okay. I got it. You guys were like, we'll be here all day if she doesn't have a clock. So let's just, yeah. Here's what being in Christ means at home and at work. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you, friends, like I usually do. Uh, this might chafe a little today. Uh, here's, here's what I have learned in my life of following Jesus so far. Maybe you can relate to this. It will rub you the wrong way sometimes. Jesus' teachings will be hard, a hard pill to swallow at times. Sometimes it will feel like a chisel chipping away at stone occasionally. And it will leave you far better than you could ever imagine. That's the promise. I'd, st I'd, I'd stake my life on it, honestly, because I've seen it so Many times. This whole passage that we just read is about using your free will to submit to somebody else. Oof. 
Maybe that's easy language. It's, just think about that. This whole passage is about using your free will, which, by the way, you do have and have been given, and you're choosing to take it and use it to submit to someone else. In Philippians chapter 2, Scripture says this is exactly what Jesus did. Even though he is God himself, he laid aside his divinity in order to put on humanity and become the sacrifice that we needed to pay for our sins. At the Last Supper, Luke's gospel tells us that even though he is greater, he chose to come and to serve us. This is the same Jesus that we've been talking about. This one from Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. The one who is before all things and in him all things hold together. The one through whom the whole universe was created. The one in whom all the fullness of the deity is found in bodily form. He's the one who was washing feet and said, I came to serve, not to be served. Hmm. And so this is the example that we are given and... He is asking the same thing of us. And these are not the niceties that you put on when you're out in public because you're a decent human being, and I trust that you are. Please and thank you, and the classic Canadian, I'm fine, thanks, how are you, right? I'm not talking about just like the, those polite social things that we do. We're talking about here what happens in the grind of your life, your character, your integrity, your reactions at home and at work, where the rubber meets the road, what does your life really look like? That's what's being called to look like Christ. And so he says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I heard you guys giggle a little bit when I said that. Like, you're like, what's she going to say about that? This is a, it's interesting. I want you just, I'm not, oh, hopefully won't, I won't say this again. But just look at how many, how many verses there are for wives to be in submission. And how much the rest of it is about bosses and employees. Just saying. Like, it's like, we, we really like to emphasize. So I don't want you to be nervous. We're going to talk about it, what the word says. Don't be nervous, anybody. Don't be nervous. Husbands. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. We get so nervous about this word submit, don't we? There has, I, and I agree, there has been some crazy teaching about this and there's some crazy playing out of this in real life, I, I say. But when you just read this scripture uh, the way it is and study these words as they are, submit doesn't mean inferiority. It never did and it doesn't anywhere in scripture. Jesus did not become inferior to anyone in his submission to the Father. It means modest, cooperative demeanor that puts others first. And love for the husbands here is, of course, that, that famous Greek word agape. That love that is more concerned with the other than with the self. Or uh, has a generous concern for or delights in others. So these scriptures read like wives have a modest cooperative demeanor that puts others first, specifically your husband, and do it as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, be, uh, be self-sacrificing, more concerned with your wife's needs than your own and delighting in her, not being harsh with her. That's the teaching here. Ephesians 5, 20, 21 to 6, 9 in there is a very parallel passage to a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says a lot of these same sorts of things. 
And that whole passage, if you read there, if you want to flip there, you can. Ephesians 5 is right in the middle. Um, the whole passage begins with this phrase. Before he goes into these instructions, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So all of us have to submit in some way. And there's instructions about how we do it, and there's really important reasons why. First, we remember that the Bible liberates all men and all women. That was already made clear. In fact, Paul has just said as much a few verses earlier, um, and, and if you read Galatians 3, he, you know, he has said earlier in, in Colossians that there's neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, uh, but Christ is all and is in all, right? He said that, and a very similar passage in Ephesians, he adds, there's also no male or female. In other words, everybody is in Christ. We are all one in Christ. We are all equal in Christ. All of those barriers have been pulled down. But he's saying here, listen, with that liberty in Christ, which you absolutely have, comes responsibility and sacrifice. The wife must let go of the temptation to rule her husband's life. And the husband must always put his wife's needs first. Each one is called to an act of sacrifice. One of the commentators reminded me that we are married at an altar, a place of sacrifice. We just talked about this last week. That's a place where the old self, which is, which is selfish and greedy, is taken off. And the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, is put on. It is loving and kind like Christ. It doesn't say here, by the way, that all women should submit to all men. In case you've ever heard that teaching, that's not what it says. It's talking about Christian marriage and how this needs to work inside of the family. And also, you have to understand too, in the, in the cultural context of this day, the husband was, was the only fully legal person in the household. He had absolute authority over everything, all property and every member of the family who were all considered sort of like his property. They were all obligated to obey him. And Paul doesn't explicitly challenge that here. However, Paul's command to husbands does not prop up his authority because it's assumed in the culture. Instead, he reminds husbands of their obligations in the Lord. I don't care what culture says to you. I want to tell you what your obligation is in the Lord. And you have to also understand, too, that marriage in the first century was not, it's a, not a Gide and Talitha story, okay? It's not. Marriage is an arrangement or a business transaction, right, in this culture. And, and so marriage isn't, isn't grounded in love in the first century, but the command uh, is that Christian marriage should be. So this would have been a revolution to center your marriage on love, especially for the husbands who had all authority in that home to say, I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm going to say to you, you need to love that wife of yours. It will look so different than the culture. It will look so different. And women, man, you need to stop trying to control all the things. Submit yourselves to your partner. 
So it's a bit of a difficult reading in the first century for us today. I recognize that. But in this culture, it would have been a revolution. Heck, in our culture today, it's a revolution to see this kind of loving submission in partnership. And the idea here is that if you live in this way, you will blow people's minds. In the first century or the 21st century, when women who are free in Christ indeed choose to submit to their husbands instead of exerting their newfound autonomy in Christ, they show the world a new way to do it. And when men who have all authority in their culture choose to lay it down in loving submission to their wives, it is a remarkable thing to see. Women, though you want to control your husband, you choose to do what is more honorable in the Lord. And you choose to give your husband a partner and a co-worker and the ability to lead. Men, though you want to exert authority and the culture tells you that you have a right to do so, you live your life with your wife's needs ahead of your own. What does that display in a Christian marriage about Christ? I mean, it looks like Jesus. And admittedly, of course, our culture is not the same as the first century. Thank you very much. Women, we get to vote and own property and all kinds of great things like that. Fantastic. We obviously live in a very different culture. Obviously, we've come a, a long way from being somebody's property as women. All of those things are so excellent and uh, I, I think are very Christ-honoring as well. Women have equal rights to men. And so these things do play out in new ways for sure. But I think the principle of mutual submission is eternal. Partnership, honoring Christ above your natural tendency to control or to command is such a beautiful thing in the Lord. So let's talk about these other relationships that were given here in uh, Colossians 3. And then we're going to think for a moment about some applications. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Miss Margaret uh, talked about this one on our fifth Sunday Kids Emphasis service. Obedience in children, of course, is about recognizing authority. That's why we obey our Father in heaven, isn't it? We recognize his authority over all things. And in this case, uh, this is about recognizing God's design for the family. And parents, for your kids' sake, don't make it difficult to obey you, causing bitterness or discouragement. You need to watch your tone. You need to be cautious of your words. Fathers are specifically mentioned here because probably, again, because uh, fathers were the only ones with legal authority in the home, in this culture. But I think it's very appropriate for us to understand that this is for all parents. Don't make it difficult for your children, discouraging for your children to obey you. Oh, they won't like all the things that you do or say. <laughs> they won't like it all, but don't make it difficult for them. Let them see that you love them so much and this is out of love for them. In fact, uh, this, this command to children is very much like the commandment in Exodus 20.12. Honor your father and mother, of course. And here's why this is also a revolution for this culture. Because a child's obedience, a complete obedience was expected. Because again, the husband and father had, uh, the, the man had complete control over the family. But the father's care about how that happened was not expected in this culture. A child submits to the father, and here saying a father should submit to the child by leading and disciplining them from love and not simply just from authority. Beautiful. And lastly, the final relationship in the first century home, which was very real in this first century home, was slaves and masters. 
And Paul has a lot to say about this one. We do get word on the words sub- we get stuck on the word submit, but there is so much going on uh, in Scripture about slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor. I don't know if anything's more relevant in Scripture than this, uh, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. That means that, like, masters are not more important than slaves. If slaves do wrong, they'll be repaid for their wrong. If masters do wrong, they'll be repaid for their wrong. Like, that's what he's saying here. Masters, so then, provide your slaves. Of course, this is chapter 4 now. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So remember the context. Paul has just declared that there was neither slave nor free. And really, the whole Bible is so, has this theme, like, just plastered everywhere. That, that, that this is the, the, the gospel message is about freedom from captivity. But in the cultural context, slavery was a reality. About half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. So this is everywhere. This is absolutely the culture they were in. And uh, slaves were generally regarded not as being able to make decisions for themselves, And so this instruction from Paul is actually very empowering. You can and you must live and work for the Lord. You can make that decision. You are actually free in Christ to serve well in the position that you're in, no matter where you find yourself. And so now, we apply these principles to anyone who works. That's a lot of us. That's all of us. However right or wrong your situation might be, you're supposed to respect your boss, And do the job well, as though Jesus was watching you, even when your boss has no idea or isn't looking. That's the principle. And what's super interesting about this is that um, this letter to the church in Colossae was being carried by a gentleman we're going to meet in two weeks. His name is Tychicus. Yeah, that's how I pronounce it in English. It's probably butchering it, but I'll meet him in heaven. He can correct me one day. Uh, What's interesting about that, so Tychicus is like holding this letter. He was very, uh, very trusted by Paul because he did this more than once. And he is also carrying a second letter. He's carrying a letter to a member of the church in, in, in Colossae, one of the Colossians. And he was a, a, a master. He was a slave owner. And his name was Philemon. We have that letter in scripture. It's just a few pages if you flip in your Bible. And so Tychicus is carrying this letter that we've been working through together. And he's also carrying this personal letter to Philemon, which wasn't so personal because obviously it was shared with the whole church. Can you imagine? It was like, and the second letter is for Ethan. Ethan. Just a little, like, that's kind of what, he's got both in his hands. And the whole, and if you know the story, what happened is that um, Philemon had a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus had run away. And at some point, Onesimus had uh, come to Christ. And he met Paul. And he started working alongside of Paul. And Onesimus was now, Paul was sending him back to Philemon, who was also a believer. And they were trying to figure out, what happens now? What do you do with, like, legally, they're both free in Christ. But legally, he works for Philemon, and he's run away illegally. And now Paul is sending him back. So if you're interested in that, you can read the, the letter to Philemon. Uh, but that's what's going on here. So when he's talking about slaves and masters, like this is a real and present thing going on in this culture. 
that they are dealing with. Slaves need to know that they're not less valuable, he's saying, than anyone else, including their masters. We're all are equal, equally valued by God, regardless of your position. And he says, slaves, you know what? In this life, that might be what your life is like. You might not have a, a glamorous job. You might work for a terrible boss. You might work for a great one too, but it might not be great for you in this world. But I want you to know that you are guaranteed an inheritance from Christ as your reward. So I want you to keep your eyes there. You slaves are set free in a new way. You may not be physically free in the business of this life, but you are free to wholeheartedly uh, work and work without a proper reward. I know that sounds awful, but you really are. You can set your own heart free because you know what your eternity looks like. And if you are abused or mistreated, God's going to bring justice. He's going to take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. And so in all of this, the question is answered in a very few short sentences of how we're supposed to relate to the people who are closest to us in our lives. Everyone is free in Christ, and these relationships in our lives are complicated. So how do we do this, knowing all that we know about who Jesus is and our status in him? Christ's supremacy, his lordship, find expression in the day-to-day -day routine life experiences that we have. And nothing is more difficult in life than living in a family where the virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love are tested every day. That, you might feel like you're being tested at work, which you might be, but man, in, in your home, in the places where the people know you best, the places that you're most comfortable, these things in the new clothing we put on, this new, this new creation that we are, these things are tested every single day. Paul began chapter 3, if you remember, or if you just kind of look, look um, in the scriptures and you're holding in front of you there. He began chapter 3 by urging believers to look above. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. And he closes the chapter in the same way. He says it sort of like this. Wives are to look above to Christ as their example of submission. Husbands are to look above to Christ as their example of love. Children are to look above to Christ as their example of obedience. Slaves are to look above to Christ as their impartial rewarder. Masters are to look above to Christ as their heavenly judge. See, Paul can't change what it's like to live in first century Colossae. He's not going to change the culture itself. Instead, he's teaching us how to live within our cultural framework in obedience to Christ, no matter where you find yourself. So the question really just turns back on us. There's a lot of principles in there. There's a lot we could explore further in every one of these categories, of course. That's literally always going to be true. That's always going to be true in every part of Scripture that we're in. So get practical with yourself this morning. How do we as wives and husbands and parents and children and employees and employers, how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do we look above? How do we model the submission that Jesus modeled? How do we do this in our homes, 
and our workplaces this week, what's broken or what's missing? I just, <laughs> I just thought to myself, I probably shouldn't stray from my notes. You, I don't want you to think, I'll tell you what's missing in my home. And you talk about all the things that other people aren't looking above to find, okay? Your, your children or your spouse or whatever. This is not that. This is not that. I'm asking you. The Holy Spirit is asking you, okay? You. You, okay? I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's missing. That's not this, okay? That's like the, you hear, you hear something and you hear something and like, oh, I know who that's for. Yeah, all of it's for you and me. It's for us, okay? We come here we humbly. We come here humbly. What does it mean to look above and live out these relationships as someone who's been made alive in Christ? What part of this are you missing in your life? Am I missing in my life? When I think about my relationship with Rob, in what ways am I working to control instead of being a partner? Instead of being, like, what's the Old Testament word from Genesis? A helpmate. <laughs> you know, like, in what way am I coming alongside and, and, and making, uh, make, making myself, uh, what was the, I don't even know how that translated, uh, but being cooperative and helpful. Husbands, in what, in what ways are you looking at your wives and thinking, I am putting her above myself. What does she need that I can provide? Kids, I'm talking to adult kids mostly in this room. How are you honoring your parents? It's a different relationship as adult children, but still. Fathers, mothers, looking at your children, thinking about how you discipline them, how you care for them. Are you making it difficult for them? Are you discouraging them? Are there words that you need to stop saying? Are there words they need to be replaced with? I don't know. Employees, when you go to work, do you think about doing the job as though Christ was empowering you to do it? As though he was the one you were serving? Bosses, are you reminded that you are not just doing the thing, but you also have a master in heaven who's watching you? So how you treat your employees matters every single day. You know, we just apply all of these things in every way we can. Who do you need to show love to? How does your work reflect your true boss, Jesus? Is there anyone or anything you're trying to control that you need to let, control, let go of control of? All of these things, we invite the Lord to speak them to us. I'm going to invite Talitha and the team to come back and just give us a moment to reflect. We're going to um, end the service and, and pray for the women in our church. But before we do, I just want to in, invite the Holy Spirit to speak quietly to us. You guys can actually just stay seated. I just want to invite you to a, a prayerful posture. Say, Lord, I invite you to show me every place in my life where I'm not looking like you. I'm not modeling my life after the submission that you had. You, in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made yourself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You, Jesus, are the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate uh, model of submission and surrender. And you were the only one who had to do that. 
Show me, Jesus, where, where you want to speak this into my life. We're listening to you, Lord.